Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the program, books, where to find them, and how you can get up close and personal with your favorite author or discover a new author you think you might enjoy. Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Festival director Sarah Volpe Woods is here to give us a preview of the upcoming 40th anniversary of the book festival. And later on in the podcast, if you have an interest in starting a book club or If you're already in a book discussion group and want to hear ways to create more interesting conversations about the books you're reading, we have an expert who will offer some advice. First up, the Kentucky Book Festival. Sarah, tell us about this year's Kentucky Book Festival. All right. We have got events happening from November 1st till November the 6th. Um, On November 1st, we kick it off with a virtual program with Jason Reynolds, who is the National Ambassador for Children's Literature. He's serving the first ever third term. Um, And so Jason's a big advocate for getting kids to read from the time they're uh, young up to their teen years and beyond. So he'll be talking with Courtney Stevens on November 1st about uh, reading and writing, and it'll be really fun. November 2nd, we have a literary luncheon with Weta Michael. She'll be in conversation with Susan Riegler at Fazig Tipton, and it'll be a picnic-style boxed lunch to kind of account for the pandemic. We've had to be pretty creative when it comes to food and drink events. Um, On November 3rd, we'll have Margaret Verbal in conversation with Kim Edwards for Cocktails and Conversation, and Margaret will be discussing her new book, When Two Feathers Fell from the Sky. I think that's the title. Um, And it'll be a fun event with a, a bourbon-themed cocktail, probably a mule, and then some small bites, um, and that's at Joseph Beth. Um, on fr- on Thursday, we have trivia at Goodwood, Lexington, which is, again, really close to Joseph Beth um, and Lexington Green. So uh, it's free. Bring a, a group and come on out for book-themed trivia. Friday is the Spotlight Breakfast with Jim Hardiman and Terry Birdwhistle. That's at the Embassy Suites off of Newtown Pike, I believe. Uh, And that's through a partnership with Commerce Lexington. And then on Saturday, it's the day-long celebration of all things bookish at Joseph Beth Booksellers. Starts at 10 a.m. and goes until 6.30 or whenever we're too tired to keep going. Um, And it'll be very fun. First time ever at Joseph Beth. Um, We'll have 140 authors on site to sign books and um, participate in various programs throughout the day. So very, very fun. (laughs) Let me do a sort of a deep dive into a couple of those people in case uh, some aren't familiar with each of those uh, authors or each uh, uh, area that they write in, genres that they write in. Uh, But first, let me ask you, why Joseph Beth this year? Why did we decide to go to Joseph Beth Booksellers in Lexington Green? Yeah, well, Joseph Beth has been a a great partner for us. They've brought some really massive book events to Lexington and Cincinnati through their stores. And so uh, through that trusted partnership built up over the years, we thought, you know, this is the the biggest bookish celebration um, in Kentucky. So let's bring it to the biggest independent bookstore in in the state. And so Joseph Beth, we're just lucky that they have a 45,000 square foot space that they're 
going to let us take over. Um, we are bringing in a tent to uh, give us even more room to spread out. But um, even without the tent, we would have had plenty of room to, to have authors upstairs and down and um, have two stages on top of that. So, Haven't you heard some really positive comments about going to Joseph Fifth? When I've mentioned that to people, uh, they first brighten up and say, oh, that's so cool. And then they think for just a couple of seconds, how are you going to do that? But yeah. <laughs> it's big enough and uh, you're planning it in a way that uh, not only patrons, but authors are going to have plenty of room uh, for books. And you can also mention uh, the main stage and some writing workshops or some other uh, mm -hmm. breakout areas. Talk about that. Yeah. So um, when we started to try to configure how this was going to look at Joseph Beth, because it is a big store, but there's a lot of stuff in it, you know, um, apart from books. <laughs> so uh, Wildcat Moving is one of our partners, and they're going to help us move a bunch of shelves and furniture in the um, children's area downstairs at Joseph Beth. And so we're, we're basically going to hide some, some uh, shelves and then put um, we'll have 70 tables spread out throughout the store with two authors seated. Um, they're at six foot tables. So um, that's where we'll have our 140 authors. They'll be spread out in the um, children's area and then the glassed in community room that's adjacent to that and in a tent. So all the signings will happen downstairs. So pretty easy to find um, anyone that you want to get a book signed by. They'll be downstairs. Upstairs um, on the main level of Joseph Beth will have a main, what we're calling a main stage. Um, it's not necessarily a, a platform or a stage, but it's where the most of the um, kind of big speaking programs will happen. Ellen Hildebrand, for one, um, will be speaking, H.W. Brands, um, Crystal Wilkinson, many others. And you'll see that as soon as you walk into Joseph Beth, there'll be a massive banner that says welcome to the Kentucky Book Festival. And um, on the railing and on the other side of that is that um, main stage. Um, and then there's another kind of stage area that I'm calling the writer's room um, where we'll have some craft discussions and a writing workshop. Um, and that's where we kind of do the deep dive uh, into the, the real nerdy stuff. <laughs> um, um, some sessions on um, one, one on writing memoir, how to write through your grief with Marianne O'Hara. Um, we'll have one about building character with Susan Beckham Zorinda. And um, one about how on earth do you build a writing community? If you wanna find like-minded people that might help you get published, um, we'll have Lisa Hanneberg, Lisa Miller, and Elaine Munch um, talking about that. So there's some, really something for everyone um, at the event. What about the, um, the the main stage area? Who's going to be there? And if if uh, and we do run into people who've never been to a book fair or a book festival before, and they really don't know when we're talking about a main stage, who's going to be on that stage or in that area, and what will they be talking about? Right. So um, we'll have about 300 seats uh, set up there. The main stage is where Joseph Beth typically has their authors come in for, for special events. Um, so we'll kick the day off with um, Amy McGrath and Kathy Stearman um, at, in the Kentucky Monthly Catalog, which we published our book festival catalog, and we've had a couple of changes um, on the schedule. So the most current one is always at uh, kybookfestival.org. Who is uh, uh, Kathy Stearman? 
So Kathy Stearman's a former FBI agent who reached one of the top positions um, in the FBI and uh, was one of the first women to do it. Um, there was a there, I guess, weren't as many women in the field when Kathy was rising in the ranks. Um, and now she lives in Louisville. She's really involved in the writing community there. And um, she and Amy McGrath actually met each other at an event and had a lot in common. Um, and so when I picked them to be in conversation together, I didn't know that <laughs> and found it out after the fact and was very, very pleased. So um, they'll talk about their crazy careers and um, being in fields that aren't typically you know, dominated by women, but um, they dominated them. So that'll be a good conversation. Um, and again, just as a reminder, Amy McGrath, uh, former yes. um, Marine uh, mm-hmm. pilot, uh, one of the first, and uh, then also more recently, uh, U.S. Senate candidate uh, opposing Senator McConnell, uh, mm-hmm. losing uh, that, but now writing a book, and uh, yep. they'll, they'll be in conversation. And so who else will be on the stage? We've got, um, after Amy and Kathy, Brian Kilmeade will be in discussion with um, Dr. Vanessa Holden of the University of Kentucky. And um, Brian has written his eighth book. Um, it's, it's history. Um, it's about Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Um, and so, and Brian's a podcast host, a Fox News host, um, uh, you know, a, a TV personality, but he loves history. And so... Um, We always have a lot of books about Kentucky history in particular, Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, interested to see what what Brian uncovered. It seems like people discover something new about Abraham Lincoln every year, and it's like, are we ever going to stop discovering new things about him and Frederick Douglass? Apparently not. Um, and that's fine. I'll invite all those people to the book festival. So. Well, a lot of people uh, that watch uh, Brian Kilmeade on uh, Fox um, in the morning is really where he made his name. And to find out that he is a, a historian and a writer mm-hmm. um, is fascinating. So I, I hope that uh, a lot of people, if they're curious not only about his TV personality side, but his his history chops too, yeah. uh, that they'll come out and, and see Brian. Yeah. Um, we've also got H.W. Brands, who's been to the event before, a historian who's been living in Texas for a long time. I don't know that he's from there, but um, he's one of those guys that writes two or three books a year, and you do, I just don't understand how he can <laughs> pull it off. But um, he and Peter S. Canellis will be in conversation, and their books don't necessarily overlap. Um, Brands is about the American Revolution, and Canellis's book is about Justice Harlan. But Dr. Lindsay Sherbinsky, um, who is going to interview them, and she's also an author, she is a professor of early American history. And so she's going to be able to kind of weave together the themes from their two books and see where they might coincide. Um, and, uh, you know, journalist and historian on stage together should be kind of fun to see um, to see them in conversation. And I think that uh, just a note about uh, both of them, H.W. Uh, Brands from the University of Texas at Austin, a professor there. Um, and as you said a minute ago, he was very popular a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh, when he visited us. And uh, just recently in a conversation with a, a historian, uh, I ask about where H.W. Brands fits into the uh, historical uh, writers in America today and uh, places him, uh, this this historian placed him right up at, in the top five, along mm-hmm. with people like uh, David Blight and David McCullough and, and others. So H.W. Brands, yeah. if they 
folks did not see him before uh, will want to come out and see him on November the 6th. And then Peter Canellis, that that is such a fascinating book. I've heard several people say that have already read uh, the the uh, the Great Dissenter. It's such a Kentucky story, and mm-hmm. it's so uh, based in in fact about what he did and the position that he held on the Supreme Court. Um, but more importantly, in the book, which I'm sure Canellis will talk about, is Justice Harlan's brother, and that's all I will say. His half-brother, and how prominent he became when Justice Harlan was on the Supreme Court. The brother was um, making his own way in the world. So, hmm. again, Peter Canellis is the is uh, writes for Politico, and um, mm-hmm. he's going to be one of our guests. Yeah. Um, and so they'll be at uh, 1230, kind of at the lunch hour. Um, all these authors will sign books either before or after their talk, always after. We always encourage that. So it's a great way to, um, if you're not able to pitch your question during the Q&A, you can run up to their signing table and uh, get a book signed and ask them all your burning questions right then and there. So um, we, we did have Matthew Pearl uh, scheduled, and his book is about Jemima Boone, the kidnapping of Jemima Boone. And I'm just mentioning it. Um, he did cancel his appearance, but the book is supposed to be amazing. So if you're interested in the Boone family, it's definitely one that's worth picking up. Another Boone story, just like a Lincoln story. There's yeah, always, there's always uh, something. But Jemima Boone, we understand this is the first uh, book ever written about uh, uh, Daniel Boone's daughter. Right. It's supposed to be kind of like a Truman Capote in Cold Blood, mm. where it's narrative nonfiction and it really draws you in like a novel. Mm. So, yeah, that's where I, I said um, I hope that he'll come in 2022 when the mm-hmm. paperback comes out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, well, we hope that he will. Um, at 2.30, we're basically going to have a, a celebration of poetry with our current Poet Laureate, Crystal Wilkinson, a past Poet Laureate, Frank X. Walker, and they'll be in conversation with Jeremy Payden, who is a poet and a professor at Transylvania University. So um, that'll be a good conversation. Um, right after that, we keep going with the Kentuckians. Silas House will be talking about his work as the editor of Fireside Industries, which is an imprint of the University of Kentu- University Press of Kentucky. And so he'll talk with Jane Moore Waldrop and Marianne Worthington, who are um, two of the, they're the first books in the series that he edited for Fireside Industries. And so he's really excited about these books and um, getting the word out about them. Uh, Jane's is a short story collection and Marianne's is a poetry collection. Um, and they have very distinct, unique ties to Kentucky. And so um, that'll be a good talk with, with Silas kind of as the anchor there. Um, we're also celebrating the 20th anniversary of Clay's Quilt, um, so he'll have he'll have copies of that to sign as well. Um, and then a uh, really interesting um, kind of uh, serendipitous topic, well, not topic, but book, Kimberly Martin uh, is a former emergency room doctor and a novelist, um, and she in 2019 started writing a book about a pandemic, um, a, a nasty little virus, and um, she sold the book and, and, you know, it was being published in 2020 as COVID happened. And so um, her book came out and everyone was saying, oh, you wrote a book about COVID. She's like, no, I didn't. I wrote this before COVID. So she's going to talk about um, writing a pandemic novel before a pandemic um, and also just talk about um, her relationships with uh, friends that she went to school with. 
um, how important those people, healthcare workers and frontline workers are um, to the community and, and to each other. And so uh, <clears throat> that should be a, a pretty interesting talk. Um, her book is called Doctors and Friends, and I think it's her third or fourth book. Um, she grew up in, outside of Berea, and she's been living in, um, I think, North Carolina for, for years. So, um, And then at 5.30, um, Ellen Hildebrand will discuss her many, many books. She has 28 or 29 uh, with Diana Rostad, who is a debut novelist um, out of uh, Florida. So Diana has read Ellen's books and is excited to talk to her about them. Um, and all the sessions I just mentioned are only the main stage sessions. So running concurrently at the same time, we'll have um, those craft discussions I mentioned and um, a writing workshop. And um, let's see. We were going to have more than one writing workshop, but the thing I ran into was that we only have 45 minutes for each session, <laughs> and that is not enough time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, But we have some, some fun ones happening in the writer's room. Um, we'll have a session with W. Bruce Cameron, who writes um, probably the most famous books are the Dog's Purpose series, three of which have been turned into movies. Um, he's a writer, director, producer, um, and so he'll be talking with Kristen O'Donnell Tubb um, about basically uh, writing books from from a dog's perspective. Um, and so that'll be a fun uh, a fun chat to listen to. Um, at eleven thirty, we'll have uh, Michael Rechtenwald and Wilfred Riley in conversation with Kylie Carlino of Regnery Publishing. Um, and so that session's more about the state of speech in America. Um, they'll cover cancel culture. They'll cover um, publishing and some of the issues publishing has seen over uh, the last year. Uh, Wilfred Raleigh actually works at Kentucky State University. Um, and so he's written uh, a book called Taboo, which is basically debunking um, 10 of the facts that you're told you can't talk about. Um, and so it's a very fascinating book. Um, and I, I didn't even know he was in our backyard mm -hmm. <laughs> until, um, you know, a year ago or so. Um, Susan Beckham Zorinda will, uh, talk about, um, getting your family stories, you know, kind of, uh, crafting fiction around your family stories. Um, she is also a debut novelist and we'll have a craft discussion writing Southern historical fiction. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah, with uh, with Angela Jackson Brown, Annette Sinook Clapsaddle, and Michael A. Almond. And um, it's it's Southern historical fiction because it takes place in um, in a you know more southern climes with more southern issues. And so they're gonna tackle some pretty tough subjects in that uh, that session. Um, and those those three books um, they have they're set in relatively the same, maybe within like 10, 20 years of each other. Um, but the the writing and the story, um, you know, they all kind of speak to each other. So that should be a good one as well. Um, and I mentioned Marianne O'Hara will talk about her book, Little Matches with Kim Edwards. Um, Marianne's daughter had uh, cystic fibrosis and so she passed away at the age of 33. And that's not a spoiler because it's on the book jacket. Um, but the, the way that Marion writes about her daughter was just um, really amazing. And you feel like you know the family when you're done reading the book. Um, 
you know, sadly, uh, Caitlin was just such an amazing person. You know, um, when I read it, I really wish I could meet her. But Kim Edwards told me about that book, and um, and I read it, and and here we are. Kim Edwards, um, Lexington uh, author, um, probably best known for the Oprah pick, um, yeah, uh, a, a few years ago, and um, is now working on a new novel that we hope will be out in 2022. The Oprah pick was the memory memory keeper's, keeper's daughter. daughter. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So that's Kim Edwards. Uh, so she's. Uh, well-read and is a writer, and, and yeah. uh, we've asked her to moderate that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were going to have Grady Hendrix talking about the history of murder books, which I thought sounded fascinating, but Grady couldn't make the trip. He lives in New York, so um, he said he'll he'll come around in 2022. Um, the Southern Gentleman, Southern Vampire Slayer Guide or something like mm. that is one of his books. And um, he's a really funny theatrical uh, person. And so the Final Girls uh, group is the most recent book that he was going to be at the book festival for. Um, if you're into murder books or right now, you know, around the Halloween season, um, that'd be a good book to pick up. Um, and then the uh, the last two sessions in the writer's room are one I'd mentioned earlier, Building a Writing Community. Um Lisa Hanneberg uh, is one of the founding board members of the Lexington Writers Room, and it's kind of like a co-working space for um, people who are trying to write books or um, authors that need kind of a support and a community to help them get projects done. And so that's right here in Lexington. I've seen it. Gwenda Bond is involved and her husband, Chris Rowe. They have done an amazing job of renovating this old house, and um Everyone has their own desk, um, and they've just done a fantastic job. So um, that's one way to step into a community. Um, the other the other way would be kind of joining a book club or uh, when your book club kind of morphs into something more um, and you, you write books and short stories together like the Derby Rotten Scoundrels out of Louisville do. Um, Elaine Munch and Susan Bell co-edited an anthology called mystery with a splash of bourbon Mm. and uh they'll be at the book festival and elaine will actually speak about you know how that came together in this panel as well um and then the the last session which is now actually at 4 30 will be um all about self-publishing because it's a very lucrative way to get a book published now um probably now more than ever and um alicia klopik who is a ya author who um somehow just figured out how to sell a ton of books on Amazon. Um, she's, she's well, it's probably because she's a great writer, but um, she self-publishes everything. Um, she'll be in conversation with Julian Thomas, who wrote a graphic novel, um, started his own publishing company to get that graphic novel out into the world. Um, I think Julian's, you know, in his 20s. And <laughs> so um, it's not at all a small feat to get a graphic novel off the ground. Um, and they'll be talking with Erica McIntyre, who's a freelance editor out of, uh, like, the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area. Um, and so she's just going to question them about uh, how, what are, what are some of the boxes people need to check off if they want to publish their own book successfully. So it's a very busy day. It is, and it's, um, I just think it's going to be so f- fascinating because it's not only books and authors. I mean, that's what a book festival is about. We're offering all of these other stage presentations and workshops, and uh, it's great to talk with other readers and writers, mm-hmm. uh, just the people that you meet. Um, and um, I don't think we can go on 
without thanking so many of our sponsors and supporters, uh, private individuals, as well as uh, the corporate sponsors that we put together, people that have come back year after year to uh, help us uh, put this on. It's just a, a big thank you uh, to all of them. And uh, finally, Sarah, uh, let me just ask you, uh, because you've been around books all your life and you've run other book fairs and uh, we're so involved in this one, why should someone who's never been to a book festival, why should somebody come to the Kentucky Book Festival either of the events during the week or just they have one day and they want to come out on November the 6th. Why should they do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for me, uh, a, a book festival is such a unique experience because it brings together the people behind the curtain. It's like when, when you go uh, in The Wizard of Oz, when they see the man behind the curtain and you're able to put a face to a name and actually see the real people uh, doing this work and writing these books. Um, it's really fun to meet them and get books signed and personalized. Uh, I personally use the event as a way to do almost all of my Christmas shopping in one day. Um, and luckily, my family loves books. But uh, it, it's a really cool way to discover books you may never have discovered before, partly because you can walk up to an author and say, what's your book about? And who's going to give you a better pitch than the person who wrote it? Um, and so I, I think that is just such a unique, uh, one-of-a-kind experience. And you can't get it at a bookstore or anywhere else any other time of the year unless you go to a book festival. But we do all the work to bring the book festival to Kentucky, so you might as well just come to this one. I think uh, it's often said that writers uh, and writing is a, a solitary craft. It's mm -hmm. something that you do most of the time by yourself um, and alone. And I have found almost 99% of the authors to be so eager and so enthusiastic about being at a festival and meeting people. They love yeah. people and yeah. they want you to buy their book, of course, yeah. but they're nice folks anyway. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, it, a lot of it is the the solitude and being alone and um, without distractions to get the book, you know, get the words on the page. But um, the authors really support each other, too, and they buy each other's books, um, and, uh, and they learn about writing groups or organizations that they may not have known about, too. It's also a really excellent way, um, you know, you can go get an MFA, or you can come to a book festival and talk to people who have done that. Um, you can talk to people who have published six or seven or 10 or 20 books and say, how, how do you do it? Um, and so you're getting a one-way path to people who are published authors, um, any genre you can imagine. We have, we have it at the book festival from sci-fi to picture books. Um, there are people like Amanda Driscoll who not only write the books, but they illustrate them, which is actually pretty rare in the children's book world. So if you have questions about uh, what it takes to be an author, or you, if you have a kid who loves to read, um, find me and I'll tell you, oh, hey, you'd love this book, <laughs> you know, um, or, oh, hey, go talk to this author. Because especially um, all the authors are incredibly friendly, but especially when you talk to a children's book author or a young adult author and they meet a kid um, or a young adult who thinks they might want to go into that field, oh, they're going to they're going to encourage that kid so much um, and they'll leave feeling like the most special person. Um, and, and that's really encouraging and uplifting too. 
the uh, Kentucky iconic uh, writers who've been around for some time uh, that have new books uh, will also be there. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking of Bobby Ann Mason, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ed McClanahan, uh, Gurney Norman, and about a thousand others that I'm going to forget to even mention. But I mean, there are, there are a lot of uh, of people who've been writing in this. Uh, we often uh, call it uh, this rich literary uh, tradition, which is Kentucky writing. Yeah. And they'll be there too. So yeah. it's just going to be a great day. Yeah. Robert Guype will have the third book in his series, the third and final. So if you want to get a hardcover signed, um, come and talk to Robert. He is not hard to find. He's probably the tallest guy there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there are some new uh, Kentuckians, Shauna K. Rodenberg, who wrote, wrote a memoir. Um, she's she's from Kentucky, but I believe uh, now lives in Indiana. Um, uh, Angela Jackson Brown, who has ties to Spalding, so you know it's yeah. almost like she's from Kentucky. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, Karen Salyer McElmurray. Uh, her book is out in paperback, so um, if you're not a hardback collector, you can get the paperback of Wanting Radiance, um, and so many books about Kentucky or by Kentuckians. Um, so that that also makes it more unique than some of the other book festivals that, that you may go to um, if you're interested in Kentucky's history or historical figures or um, just, you know, fictionalized figures. You can find all that, too. Sarah, thanks for the preview and good luck. Thank you. Next up on the podcast, book groups and book clubs. And speaking of books, writers, and writing, we're so appreciative of our underwriter for the podcast, the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres. Explore the interrelatedness of the arts. Travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. If you're in a book club and want to make it better, listen in. If you're interested in starting a discussion group, this podcast is for you too. If you want to feel like you need to be more tuned in or engaged with what the author is saying, the following conversation is for you also. Our guest is Donald Whitfield, who will share with us what will make your book discussions more lively and rewarding. Donald Whitfield relocated to Louisville from his native Chicago in 2018 after he retired from the Great Books Foundation, where he was vice president for community and national programs for 18 years. While at the foundation, he created and administered numerous discussion-based public humanities programs. Among these were Talking Service, a peer-to-peer reading and discussion program for veterans returning to civilian life, and Reading Between the Lines for Men and Women, Making the Transition Out of an Incarcerated Life. He is a graduate of the Great Books Curriculum at St. John's College, and he's here to talk to us about book clubs. Donald, what do you find, what do people tell you is the most unrewarding part of a book discussion or discussing a particular book? 
Well, what they tell me is that uh, much of the discussion doesn't really focus on the book itself. People in book discussion groups have devoted a lot of time to reading a two, three, four hundred page book usually. And uh, often the discussion goes off in a lot of different directions. They don't really know how to focus the discussion, what everybody has read, everybody has a different perspective on the book. So often uh, at the end of the discussion people say, well what does this all amount to? We've, we've enjoyed being with our friends, we've probably eaten a good meal, and that's really pleasant. And that's certainly one of the best reasons for getting together with friends to talk about a book. But what about the book itself? I would think that um, in your experience and uh, over the time that you've been uh, talking to people about uh, book clubs and book discussions, uh, you've uh, gathered a, a, a quite a bit of knowledge about really a successful book discussion, a successful, and most of us know uh, when those discussions occur, they're in book clubs. Um, what can you tell us about uh, your experience uh, other than not ever getting to the book to discuss, what are some of the other important aspects of, um, of a book discussion that you feel are important? Friendliness um, and cooperation. The uh, techniques that I use to, to conduct book groups, groups of my own or to uh, give people pointers on conducting book groups so sort of fall under the title of something I call shared inquiry. And that's a, I think that's a very important phrase to use when thinking about a book group because it's a, it's a group activity. Everybody is in it together. They're working together to uh, clarify what they've read, to come to uh, mutual insights that maybe they didn't have before, maybe to entertain different points of view or perspectives that people in the group raise. So weaving all that together in a way that focuses on the book and that uses the book not only as a focal point but as a springboard to broader conversation is, is very important. Does the discussion always have to have a, a leader? It doesn't always have to have a leader. It helps to have a leader. There are some, some um, uh, fictions that book groups adopt by appointing a leader and the leader has certain responsibilities. For instance, it's expected the leader will have looked at the book very carefully and, and read the whole thing. Uh, one of the real liabilities of um, book groups having a rewarding discussion is sometimes people haven't finished the book. And uh, often book groups start by somebody asking the leader or somebody else, did you like the book? And I would say get that question out of the way as quickly as possible because what can you really do with it? I liked it, I didn't like it, I didn't read it. <laughs> But uh, a, leader, a leader helps, and it's probably a good idea to uh, switch leaders from session to session, but I would maintain that the qualities that make a good leader also make a good participant, and I'll say a little more about that in a few minutes. Would you suggest that there is a certain number of members of the discussion group that uh, make the flow of conversation go a bit better? Um, than if the group is too large or too small? Hard to predict. I would probably uh, err on the side of too small rather than too large, but it really depends on how much people participate in the group. Some people just get a lot out of, of sitting there and basking in all of the insights that everybody else is generating, and others want to talk a lot. Now, if I had enough time, I'd probably say some words about uh, how to keep people who talk a lot from not doing so or how to keep people who bring in a lot of extraneous material 
uh, not to do that, but that's a somewhat different topic. <laughs> well, it is somewhat, uh, but I would appreciate if you could just share a tip or two about you, that. I'll give you one tip. Uh, often if a book is difficult, people will think that by um, bringing in a lot of um, extraneous material will help clarify it in some way. Let's bring a biography of the author in. Let's bring in a historical book that talks about when the book was written and who it was written for and so forth. And that can be interesting, but often it's kind of a dodge about engaging with the book itself. So if somebody does that, what I usually say to them is, okay, we're going to assume that the person you're quoting or bringing to the table who's written these other sources is here, but you're the one who's going to have to defend those positions. Now, either they walk out onto the plank and fall into the water uh, because they, don't, you know, they try to do it and can't because they're not really their own opinions, or they back off a little bit. That's a technique I use all the time. <laughs> so you don't feel that it's important uh, that the, um, the people in the group know much about the, the author or what uh, they might have written in the past or, or their background or where they're from. Uh, you should go in with the volume in front of them and ready for the discussion. That's my preference. I always um, like to say, assume, assume the author left this in a package on your front step and you read it and think, what the heck is this all about? And really engage with it. But um, outside source material can be very helpful. The, the uh, trick is to know how much is too much and how little is too little. It's easy to get bogged down in the weeds with uh, a lot of information that's sort of extraneous to the discussion. If you are the, um, one of the people uh, in the group and you start the book but don't like it, should uh, just like even if you weren't in the group even if you uh, were just reading on your for your own pleasure uh, are you one of those or what do you tell people about finishing a book that you don't particularly like or for a book group discussion finishing it because it's the assignment and something that you know you need to prepare for in the discussion yeah i hope the people in book groups as opposed to the classroom don't think of it as an assignment <laughs> but as a Pleasure. If they're reading for pleasure and don't like the book, then that's sort of contradictory. They probably shouldn't continue reading it. Not every book is for everybody. I'm starting a, to read a 4,000-page novel right now that's sort of on my bucket list. And I don't know if I'll find it pleasurable, but it's Mount Everest, and I'm willing to give it a try. But I'm also uh, fully uh, prepared to give it up <laughs> if I can't make it to the top. So that, that's... Not the, every book is for everybody. Yeah. Um, what uh, genre makes for better discussion in a group discussion? I is it always novels, uh, always fiction? Um, Not at all. Give me some ideas about that. Not at all. I think the criteria for a book that is going to lead to good discussion uh, really has more to do with, with the way the author's ideas are presented and how they're entertained in the discussion than in the book itself. There are a few exceptions to that, for instance. I don't know what kind of an interesting discussion you could have for an hour or two about a cookbook. <laughs> and then there are certain kinds of self-help books that, you know, what, what can you really say about them? Is it helped me or it didn't help me? Uh, they, they don't have the level of complexity and ambiguity that might lead to a good discussion. But having said that, there are books, nonfiction books often, 
where the author has a, a thesis of some sort. He wants to get something across, and you assume that he's saying it in as clear a way as possible. So in a case like that, the work of the group probably is to look carefully at what the clear-cut argument is. Now I'm talking about a nonfiction book and try to come to a uh, common understanding of what the author says. After a certain point, there's probably not going to be much ambiguity about what the author is trying to say, but at least the group can work to get a good sense of what the author's premises are. Now, having said that, it may be the case with a work of nonfiction that uh, some of the readers in the group notice that there are contradictions or certain statements in different parts of the book that don't seem to be consistent with each other, and that's a good place to start talking. With a work of fiction, so many rich questions that can be asked. Uh, what are characters' motivations? Are there crucial turns in the plot that seem to imply what the author is getting at? Uh, is the author trying to give us some sort of depiction of some aspect of uh, human experience that does or does not coincide with our own experience? So they're very rich things to mind. But I wouldn't say it's so much the genre as it is the way the book is approached and how complex the author's thoughts are. You mentioned um, novels, fiction, you mentioned nonfiction, you mentioned cookbooks. What about poetry? Oh, well, poetry is wonderful, of course, because of the, uh, the uh, richness of the language. I've led many discussion groups of poetry, some with very uh, well-read audiences, and others with, well, one group that I conducted in Chicago for years with uh, former prison inmates, uh, many of whom weren't high school graduates and many of whom were having trouble reading. Which group do you think enjoyed the poetry the most? It was the latter, because they were willing to play with the language. They were willing not to be intimidated by the name of the poet or the eminence of the poet, poetic work. Uh, the other groups uh, had trouble with it. They felt maybe the effort involved in uh, discerning what the rich language meant wasn't worth the effort. <laughs> so, What else can you share with us about um, having a successful discussion about mm -hmm. any book. Yeah, if there's one thing that I'd like to offer and uh, communicate to you now, it's this. The most important thing to drive a, a rewarding book discussion are questions. That is, uh, under the uh, aegis of the phrase shared inquiry, the inquiry part is very important. What does an inquiry imply? It implies asking questions of some sort questions that are mutually interesting to the people in the group, real questions, not uh, school teacher questions where there's a, a given answer that uh, you really need to define because that's how you get a good grade. Questions that are very different from that. And I'd like to parse questioning into three parts. Factual questions, interpretive questions, and evaluative questions. And I'd like to maintain that the interpretive questions are the ones that really drive the discussion well. I'll give some examples of what those are. I have in front of me a copy of a text that um, most of you are probably familiar with. And I'm gonna, just going to quickly read a little bit of it. It's called the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and I'm going to read everything that's on the page that's a transcript of what was on the original document. The Declaration of Independence in Congress, July 4th, 1776 the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, 
A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, very familiar. What's a factual question? When was this written and declared? It's right there on the page, in Congress, July 4th, 1776. Uh, who was declaring it? The 13 United States of America. Uh, who endows mankind with unalienable rights? It's right here. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I know that sounds very obvious, but in the longer work that's under discussion, sometimes there are very different perspectives on the lay of the land of a text. And it's very important that everybody in the group in the course of the discussion have in mind the same facts. These are not disputable facts. Now, what's an interpretive question? Okay, what does the text mean by endowed by their creator? That's something that there could be numerous interpretations of, and that's where the discussion starts. A good interpretive question is one that has two or more plausible answers that can be supported by what's on the page in front of everybody. So there's something to talk about. There may be three, four, five, and different people in the group may seize on one of those and defend it and then have a conversation with each other about. What's an, what's a, an evaluative question, though? What do you do when you've talked about um, factual and interpretive issues for a while? Well, an evaluative question puts the reading, the book, whatever it is, in a much broader context. What is the Declaration of uh, Independence declaring? That uh, these colonies are going to separate themselves probably by violent action of some sort. So we might ask, is there ever a time that's appropriate for one um, uh, group of individuals in a political sec uh, situation to violently separate themselves from another? When, when does that happen? Or when, um, when the document says, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation, what are some of those causes? It's a much broader perspective. Those are questions that will come up in the course of the discussion, but they'll really be enriched if the people in the group spend a lot of time on the interpretive questions, because then they have a sense of the richness of the text, different perspectives on the language in front of them. And I realize this is a very compressed version of what most book groups are dealing with, because they might be dealing with books that are three, four, or 500 pages long. But I think it's really helpful to think about what kinds of questions can be asked. If there's a leader, a leader will sometimes try to discern what's a good kickoff question, what's going to get the ball rolling, and what are some good follow-up questions depending on some likely responses to the first question. A leader can kind of prepare for that. I like co-leaders because it's really helpful for two people to bounce these uh, questions back and forth before the discussion and try to second guess what you know, what the responses may be. But they're real questions. They're questions the leaders really have some, some doubt about. And uh, if you can do that with a longer work by honing in on something which you think is really uh, central to the book or the passage, I think that'll make the discussion more rewarding in the end. Not necessarily controversial, but uh, as you said, something that uh, almost everyone in the group can contribute to, yeah. uh, their own interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but they're going to have to put themselves on the line and realize that their own interpretation 
uh, may be taken exception to by other people in the group. But the important thing is to keep in mind that rewarding book groups often practice something like shared inquiry. It's a shared effort. It's not being the brightest person in the room. It's uh, encouraging other people to develop their ideas and getting them to encourage your own ideas as well. So it's, it's working together. What um, attitude or demeanor, conduct, should one bring to a discussion? Civility. <laughs> Civility and uh, uh, kindness, I think, and humor. <laughs> Some of the best book groups I've been in over the years are ones that have a very high quotient of humor involved. Because there's something, there's something a little ridiculous in some ways of sitting around in a group talking about big ideas sort of divorced from, from uh, the world where the, as these ideas come into play. It's, it's stepping back and reflecting. And there's something, I don't mean trivial when I say humorous, but to realize that we're looking at things from a, a kind of remove. <laughs> Is it, um, I guess this could go either way. Is it good to, um, to bring up to the group, and I know some clubs choose a book a month for the whole year. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a mixture? Of, what, what, what have you found in your experience? Is that a bestseller that just came out or is coming out? Or are those, should you also practice uh, reading classics? And as you may know, in a book club, we conducted on Kentucky Educational Television. We only read Kentucky books by Kentucky authors. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the course of seven or eight years, we never ran out. Uh, and we still would not run out, I'm, I'm sure, if we were still recording today. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we, uh, is a mixture of, uh, not only we talked about the mixture of genres, but a mixture of, of classics versus, versus uh, bestsellers, uh, versus uh, maybe, as I said, Kentucky authors, well, what would you suggest is, is a winning formula? I don't think it matters at all, and I don't think there's really a formula to it, only, only that the books are rich and complex enough to have a good discussion about. But uh, a group that I've been in recently uh, has one rule about, about nominations for the books, and usually it, it chooses books three or four months out, not for the whole year. And that is that somebody in the group has to have read the book. Hopefully, hopefully more than one person, so that when they recommend it, it's just not on the basis just of hearsay or some review they read in a periodical, but they've had some direct experience, and they have to make a pitch for it. Now, that's one rule uh, if, if we, I know it's a soft rule, but... It's, it's uh, based on trust. Yeah, <laughs> but that's one I have not heard of. So mm -hmm. someone in the group uh, should have already read that book and is recommending yeah. it but recommending because of what though? Recommending because they, they loved it, it uh, or they found it, it would be a good uh, book to discuss, mm -hmm. uh, even if they didn't like it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah, if they, they might not like it for good reasons. <laughs> there, um, one reason I don't read online on a Kindle or anything of that sort is I like to kind of toss a book on the floor if, I, if I'm uh, sort of upset by it. <laughs> You wouldn't want to do that with an expensive piece of electronic equipment. So it could be a book that they don't like at all, but they think, they think that the, uh, what it's saying is so interesting that it might uh, lend itself to a good discussion. Look, a lot of the classics that people have read over the years are, are repugnant at some level. Machiavelli has a certain model of statecraft, which is 
probably atrocious, but boy is it influential and interesting, and it's probably good to engage with it and, and try to discern its implications. But as far as, uh, as far as choosing books for a book group, most book groups, I think, have a kind of core of people who have been with each other for a while, they know each other well, others come and go and around the periphery, and they know each other well enough so that they know what everyone is going to find uh, sort of interesting to talk about. So again, I think, I think the important criterion is whether the book is rich enough to have a good discussion. If someone listening to this um, is interested enough to want to start a book discussion group or a book club, mm -hmm. uh, they've been around for a long time. Are they still going to be around? Would you, first of all, A, uh, encourage them to do so, and, and B, um, uh, wh what, are the, what are the best ways to, what are the first steps that one needs to take to begin a book discussion? A group, yeah. Find a few people who uh, who you enjoy talking to generally, and then just impose a few formalities. Not many. Don't don't put everything in a straitjacket, and just start talking with three or four people about books you enjoy reading, and then keep your ear to the ground of others you might uh, want to invite to join. <laughs> I think that's probably the best. Many of the most interesting book groups I've been in over the years, and I've been in them for 45 years in different times and places. Uh, started with just a small group of friends and grew from there. And they remain friends. Well, good. Uh, Donald, uh, thanks for sharing um, your expertise and your, uh, your hints. Um, any lasting comment on um, what is valuable, uh, what has been beneficial to you mm -hmm. uh, over your lifetime of, uh, of being in book discussions? Uh, I think good book discussions are always reflective, and I think it's always good to cultivate reflectiveness instead of just uh, 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 a reaction to things around us. Let me tell you, if I can, quickly one, one little uh, bit about the people who are in book groups. I've started many of them over the years, and I always ask a sort of uh, blunt, impertinent question at the beginning, why are you here? <laughs> and I hear three basic different answers. One is, and these are book groups generally that concentrate on older books, classics, and so forth. But people say, I've always wanted to get around to reading these books and never have. Or I read them too early, I was too young to appreciate them, I want to go back to them. The third one I think applies generally to book groups. Uh, people are in a certain line of work, a certain profession. They might be lawyers, doctors, they could be a salesperson, anything of that sort. They want to entertain general issues that relate to their way of life. A lawyer might say, you know, I can't really engage in a discussion at a cocktail party about what is justice. Mm. <laughs> a doctor might say, I can't really engage in a medical conference in a question about um, what, uh, what does the Hippocratic Oath imply, <laughs> and so forth. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be a professional to be interested in questions that are way deep down about what you do day to day, but I find that that's one of the things that people are really hungry for. They're hungry for in-depth discussion and the opposite of uh, tweets and uh, short-form conversation, and they want to really dig in. Uh, I'm in groups now that proceed by Zoom because it's, well, because it's become the way of the world in the last year and a half, but also because it's been pretty convenient. You don't have to dress up to go to the group at least in the waist down. <laughs> but um, 
I, I still really think there's a value in being together person to person because there are many nonverbal aspects of communication that we're all aware of that work so well. Just the tone of the voice, the grain of the voice, body language and so forth. But I would emphasize mainly that uh, good book groups, rewarding book groups, encourage people to reflect. Donald Whitfield, thank you very much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.